You can always close your eyes. Hola, los invito a escuchar Conoce Tu Colombia, un programa producido por Columbia River Keeper que se transmite cada otro martes de 7 a 8 de la noche. Entérese de lo que pasa en las comunidades que vivimos a lo largo del río Colombia. Compartimos información sobre la importancia de proteger nuestros recursos naturales. Además, tocamos temas de justicia social y culturales que son relevantes para nuestras comunidades. Recuerde, escuche Conoce Tu Colombia en Radio Tierra, el latido del gorcho, tu radio comunitaria. Qué difícil cantarle a Tierra Madre que nos aguanta y nos vio crecer. Hola, usted está escuchando Conoce Tu Colombia, un programa producido por Columbia River Keeper que se transmite cada 15 días los martes a las 7 de la noche. Yo soy Ubaldo Hernández. Esta noche vamos a estar platicando con ustedes acerca de lo que está pasando en el condado de Gilliam, ahí por la ciudad de Arlington. Pues resulta que en este lugar se encuentra un depósito donde se eh, tira material químico que es peligroso y pues bueno este lugar está eh, se usa eh, por esos motivos para tener un lugar donde depositar materiales que son tóxicos que son este dañinos para nuestras comunidades pues resulta que en este lugar aparte de estar depositando todo eso, todos estos materiales que afectan a la salud de nuestras comunidades pues resulta que se depositaron 2.5 millones de libras de material radioactivo motivo de la extracción de el fracking, una técnica que se usa para extraer este petróleo, gas en el estado de, de Dakota, en el cual pues esta técnica se usa, se implementa al momento de extraer este material, pues se filtra cierto tipo de material radioactivo que se extrae del subsuelo y en el cual cuando se tiene afuera pues es un material que no se puede usar y que están constantemente buscando lugares donde eh, almacenarlo y pues decidieron hacerlo en el condado de Gilliam en cerca del pueblo de Arlington en el cual pues depositaron, como ya lo había mencionado, 2.5 millones de libras de material radioactivo. Pues esto crea un problema para nuestras comunidades. Nosotros consideramos que es un depósito ilegal, ya que no se le avisó a la comunidad, no se tuvo en consideración la opinión de las comunidades que viven alrededor, y pues esto realmente representa una bomba de tiempo lo cual puede crear problemas este, en el futuro en las comunidades que se encuentran a lo largo del de río Columbia o cerca de este tiradero, el cual se encuentra a 6 millas del río Columbia y estamos hablando de 15 millas de la ciudad de Arlington, lo cual tenemos que pensar en las posibilidades de contaminación de, de agua, la contaminación por medio del aire, y que las comunidades que viven alrededor se van a ver afectadas. Tenemos con nosotros a Dan Ceres. Él es el director de conservación de Columbia River Keeper. Él ha estado trabajando en Columbia River Keeper desde el 2005 y ha estado siempre 
al frente de la lucha para proteger nuestras comunidades que vivimos a lo largo del río Columbia. Vamos a tener esta conversación con él. Él es una persona que tiene mucho conocimiento sobre lo que está pasando en nuestro lugar, ya que él ha estado atento desde el inicio cuando se supo del depósito de este material. Él nos va a platicar sobre lo que está pasando ¿Cómo es que va, puede este lugar afectar a nuestras comunidades? ¿Cómo nuestras comunidades podemos defendernos de este problema? Y pues bueno, vamos a empezar nuestra conversación con Dan Ceres. Dan Ceres, welcome. Uh, I hope you are doing well and being healthy on this crisis of coronavirus. Thank you for having me. Yes, I'm, I'm doing well. It's something that is affecting all our communities and I think that's something that worth to mention for people that are listening to us this today that you need to keep your distance if you can wear your mask and keep your uh, community safe right that's right yeah the very first um, community meeting i went to uh, about this radioactive fracking waste issue in arlington was on march 4th uh, and that was just in the very beginning of, of the coronavirus where people were really just beginning to understand how much we would be impacted. And it was before the lockdown or the shutdown happened. Um, and so uh, it's been interesting to, to kind of look back over the last few months and see how much has changed. And I think if it, it's, this would be probably even more of a controversial issue if people didn't have to spend so much energy focused on the health of their families and their communities uh, as they should uh, during the coronavirus uh, crisis. Uh, one of the things that I see this uh, crisis with the coronavirus and what we're going to talk about is the participation of the community, that it's really important. If we all participate to protect our communities, to protect our families, our friends, we will going to be successful on this uh, issue with the coronavirus as well as the issue that we're going to talk about. That's right. And, you know, one, one of the things that impressed me the most about um The community of Arlington was in March when the Oregon Department of Energy came to Arlington. Um, the Gilliam County Court held a public meeting, a town hall, to hear the community's concerns. And uh, Oregon Department of Energy answered some questions. And for more than, you know, it was probably about two hours, you know, there were at least 60 or 70 people from the community who were there asking tough questions. Uh, raising their concerns about the health and safety of their community and really uh, pressing the public officials on why no one had been held accountable for dumping radioactive waste in Arlington uh, at this chemical waste management facility. And, and so this was, uh, at least they hadn't been held financially responsible. Um, they were being made to answer questions uh, and to do more study of how the waste might behave. So this is, um, that was a, a really good showing of community participation. And one of the things that we're trying to do is to make sure that even though months have passed, that some of the information and some of the questions that were asked that evening that were so pressing and so on point that, uh, that they don't get lost um, in the months that have followed. Because uh, it turns out that some of the issues that people raised that night Uh, were very, very accurate and, and very uh, prescient. And so um, I'm glad that we have an opportunity to discuss those here today. So, and we are talking about the uh, situation that happened on this area, um, city on Arlington. There is a dump site where they deposit all 
sorts of uh, chemical toxic materials on this dump, and they decide to put 2.5 millions of pounds of radioactive waste without notifying the community. Yeah, this was a really shocking mistake, I guess. Um, so the company Chemical Waste Management, which is owned by Waste Management, so many people, at least in Portland, will see the trucks that drive around Portland and, and pick up their trash. It's the same company, um, but they have a subsidiary called Chemical Waste Management, and they operate this big landfill outside of Arlington that takes, uh, like you said, some pretty toxic stuff, and they put it in this lined landfill in that area that's kind of perched up above Arlington. And so in the course of over three years, they received shipments from a company called Oilfield Waste Logistics, 2.5 million pounds of what's called filter socks. And this is equipment that is used to filter the fluid that is used in the fracking process. And just to take a step back, um, we're talking about you know, essentially what is radioactive fracking waste. So the process of hydraulic fracturing or fracking, um, it's used to produce oil and gas. And in this process, they use fluid and chemicals and they inject them into the ground to fracture rock. And by doing that, to, to kind of break open these rock formations, they this fluid can also gather the naturally occurring radioactive material that's in those rock formations. And so when it comes back up to the surface, it can include that radioactive contamination, sometimes in higher concentrations than you would like, um, and then that it's safe. And so they filtered this fluid uh, with these, what they call filter socks. And those filter socks, uh, comprise more than 80% of the waste that was dumped in Arlington. So most of what got dumped in the chemical waste management landfill uh, came uh, in the form of these filter socks. And some of that material was many, many times above the allowable limit for uh, radioactive contamination in Oregon. Um, so the company, Chemical Waste Management, claims that they did not uh, have a clear understanding of Oregon's regulations, which prohibited uh, the acceptance of this type of waste in that landfill. Uh, they claimed that they were not aware that the radioactivity levels that were present in this waste exceeded Oregon standards, even though it was very, very clear uh, from uh, the documentation provided by Oilfield Waste Logistics that the levels were quite high. So in the end, what happened is over three separate years, 2.5 million pounds of uh, mostly these filter socks were dumped in different areas of this landfill and, uh, and still active areas of the landfill that had other material then deposited on top of it. So it's kind of a mess uh, where they have you know, an active landfill and in the middle of this active landfill, there's 2.5 million pounds of material that should be categorized as radioactive waste and should never have been dumped in Oregon, much less in this facility. And so this obviously prompted people in Arlington, 
including people who work at chemical waste management, to ask some really hard questions about why there had been no fine levied against a company um, and why the company was still operating in areas of the landfill that had this radioactive waste dumped. So uh, these are some of the questions that began to come out in, in March as people started to learn about what had happened. Um, and one of the things that we've, we've since learned is that this is not a problem that is unique to Oregon. In fact, all across the United States where fracking is occurring, this same problem is happening over and over where uh, the oil and gas industry is producing radioactive waste and then is finding places to dump this radioactive material uh, often on communities that are unsuspecting, that do not realize that what they're, what they're accepting is radioactive. Um, and this has caused a lot of concern. Um, and in some places they've seen very high levels of radioactivity in even municipal waste facilities. I mean, in this case, uh, chemical waste management is a, is a higher level waste dump. Uh, but around the United States, this is a problem that has uh, really, really grown and become more severe. Uh, for people who are listening who want to read a really good expose on this, uh, there's a journalist named Justin Noble who wrote an article uh, about, um, it was in the start of 2020, called America's Dirty Secret. And it's about radioactive fracking waste. It's in Rolling Stone magazine. And it's quite detailed and talks about some of the environmental and health consequences of this radioactive fracking waste. Um, so, you know, Columbia Riverkeeper is part of a big coalition or several coalitions that tries to uh, diminish our region's reliance on fracked fossil fuels, things like fracked gas, fracked oil. And so we, we try to stop oil train terminals and LNG terminals, the, the type of projects that cause more fracking to happen. And we didn't even know at the beginning really that part of what we were gonna be dealing with was radioactive fracking waste and something that uh, we've only come to learn in the last you know, uh, six months. All that information is really uh, interesting and to know about uh, how fracking actually, which is it's not just affecting the communities where this material has been extracted, but we see the practice ended up affecting communities in different levels. And at this time, it's affecting the Oregon communities because of the radioactive waste. One of the things that I would like to, to make uh, a point of it is that this dump, this facility, is about six miles from the river. So we are putting this uh, radioactive waste close to one of the main sources of water for many, many communities in the state of Oregon and Washington. And all the communities that we live along this river, we're gonna be potentially affected if something goes wrong in this site. And uh, beside Hanford, that which is really close too. So I think it's, this was a really irresponsible move for this facility to accept this waste, which they knew this this waste was passing, overpassing the limits of uh, radioactive 
levels that were accepted by the state of Oregon. Yeah, it's hard to believe that um, they didn't know. Um, they claim they didn't know. The company claims, uh, and they, they said this repeatedly in the public meeting in March, that they were not aware um, and that it was their fault. They, they accept um, that it was their fault that they did not read the regulations clearly. Um, they would not explain how much money they made by accepting uh, this radioactive fracking waste illegally. Um, they also have not been fined any monetary amount for having accepted this radioactive fracking waste illegally uh, because the state of Oregon considered this to be a single violation, uh, despite the fact that this occurred over three years in many, many separate shipments, the state of Oregon ultimately determined uh, that it was disclosed at one time. And so that's one violation, which was very frustrating to put it mildly to many people including the many people in Arlington who thought the company should have been fined. Um, and, you know, people were suggesting, you know, why, why wouldn't the company be fined at least the amount of money they made accepting the waste so that there's a disincentive to this type of activity. Um, and to your point about water, um, you know, Oregon has very actually clear cut rules against establishing any type of radioactive waste dump in the state. And, you know, Oregon is in the process of trying to make those rules stronger so that this doesn't happen again. But the, there is a clear intent in Oregon's rules that we not have um, the establishment of even a low level radioactive waste dump in our state, because we, we know that water resources are precious and we don't want to, to see this type of contamination moving around in the environment. Um, and so, now what we have is a real problem. We have a, essentially a de facto radioactive waste landfill in a place where it shouldn't be. And um, part of what we're seeing now is that the radioactivity levels in the leachate, which is the polluted water within the landfill, um, that, that we're actually seeing the radioactive contamination uh, concentrating in that leachate. And this is something that's been observed in other landfills where radioactive fracking waste has been dumped as well. So it's something we kind of knew to look for. Um, so the company put out uh, its own technical memorandum, which looks at how much uh, radioactivity and, and had um, some data about how much radioactivity had, was in this polluted water at the bottom of the landfill. And for uranium, they showed levels at 358 picocuries per liter. The standard for uranium is less than one-tenth that. So the standard is 30 picocuries per liter. So already we're seeing within the landfill radioactivity levels that are much higher than you would want to see. And this contradicts the expectation that the company put forward in that March town hall. A company representative got up and said, you know, we really don't expect to see radioactivity in the leachate, you know, in this contaminated water at the bottom of the landfill, because what we dumped in there was filter socks. And so filters should hold the radioactivity in place. 
Well, it turns out it doesn't work that way, that the water percolating through did in fact cause the uranium and the thorium to enter into that, that water, the leachate, and now it is, um, it is elevated in the concentrations that we're seeing in the leachate. Um, and so one of the concerns that people have raised is that this landfill uses that water, that polluted water, that leachate from the bottom of the landfill, they pump it to the top of the landfill up to the surface and they use it to suppress the dust that blows around at the surface of the landfill. So just to pause there for a second, you're taking the, you're the polluted leachate that has potentially elevated levels of radioactive contamination, pumping it to the top and spraying it at the surface of the landfill. And when this came up in the March meeting, people said, well, isn't that a cause for concern? Couldn't there be dust blowing and, and exposure? So chemical waste management has hired an expert who did um, his own modeling to show uh, that um, that dust blowing from spraying the stuff at the surface would have a low dose to a worker. The main concern was, was to the workers there at the landfill that they might be exposed to the uranium or the thorium at higher levels. So, so far the company is claiming through their own expert that there is no significant risk to workers or the public. The concern we have is that all we have right now is a snapshot. We have you know, um, some data showing that the radioactivity is entering into the leachate. We know that that leachate is being used to spray for dust suppression at the surface. We also know that the contamination of uranium and thorium will be very long-lived that these are not contaminants that will go away anytime soon. And so to study this problem, uh, it's important to, to take a very long view and to realize that whatever contamination is in the leachate is in, in the, the landfill, it will likely outlive whatever containment the landfill has, the liner of the landfill, uh, which is a problem. And uh, when you say, as you, as you pointed out, that the Columbia River is only six miles away, um, you know, in hundreds or thousands of years, it's not hard to imagine this contamination moving towards um, groundwater, even towards surface water. And, you know, that, that could have an impact on people in the future and certainly on, on the environment. Well, that's a little bit of disturbing uh, situation when we are thinking about that you are, I'm just thinking about when you're brewing coffee and you right. get the, 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 the caffeine down to your pot and then you put it back to the top. Exactly. It's, it totally um, um, blows my mind to think about that somebody's doing that, bringing a highly concentrated uh, water with radioactive material to the surface again and put it back into the soil and that soil gets saturated dries out and it blows around the the facility where people is working and we don't know if they're using the special equipment to protect themselves but not just that just communities that live close by 
like Arlington, is about 15 miles from this dump, where a high country, uh, where, where a lot of people lives there. Mm -hmm. So that people is being exposed, is potentially exposed to this excess of radioactive to their communities, to their families. So far, the you know the the company's expert says that that level of exposure would be very low. And if you look at where the the landfill is situated, um, it's it's sort of unlikely that you would see a whole lot of dust blow directly into Arlington from the landfill. So that's that's good in a way. And so I don't want people to be too alarmed immediately that there's a huge exposure. But in the long term, this issue of the water is a concern uh, to us in particular because we think that, um, you know, we just don't know if it, the problem is getting worse or getting better. And because they they intend to keep doing this to keep to keep using the water for dust suppression at the top, if that leachate gets more and more concentrated over time, then you would have more and more radioactivity at the surface over time as well. Um, so it's it's something that is definitely different than what the company expected when they made their presentation in March to the community in Arlington. Um, and I think it's, it's also really important to say that, you know, when people spoke up at that meeting, um, that they talked about not just the impact on the community from, a, from an environmental and health perspective, but also the social impact, the stigma, this feeling like Arlington had now earned a reputation as a radioactive dump. And that made people very angry, you know, and Arlington's a beautiful place. It's a, it's kind of an, an amazing perch along the river um, with a, just an extraordinary view of, you know, the, the mid Columbia and um, people felt like, you know, they were going to see their property values impacted and potentially you know, the people were talking about, you know, what does this mean for agricultural crops and the value of those crops? And, you know, a lot of issues that um, really, you know, spoke to the economic impact on the community and the social impact, um, in addition to this issue of direct exposure um, that people might get from the uranium or the thorium. So right now, I just want to be clear, like there's, there's not, uh, based on the information we have, um, and, and Oregon Department of Energy has, has stated this repeatedly, they don't feel like there's any major direct risk to the public. But, you know, this is something that really needs close scrutiny over time because um, the picture, as I said, is different now than it was even in February or March when this situation first arose and, and not in a good way. Um, you know, we're actually seeing the radioactivity you know, breaking free and starting to move into the leachate in a way that the company didn't expect to have happen. So basically, we have a time bomb in our communities. And it's, you know, it reminds me of Hanford in, in that way, uh, where you have to think on very long timelines, you know, where once you've dumped this stuff into a place, um, and you know that the contamination is very, very long lived. So, um, uranium and thorium, you know, they have half-lives, um, hundreds of thousands, millions of years. So we're, we're talking, this stuff will be around for as long as people are around um, and longer. 
um, it it's very challenging to try to understand what we can do to deal with a problem uh, that should never have been created. Um, you know, Hanford is is on a different scale. Hanford is you know there's just such massive levels of radioactivity there. You know, what's been dumped in Arlington is nothing like that, but it is similar in that um, the, the contamination is very long lived. And so the hope, I think, that um, the company and Oregon Department of Energy have put forward is that the radioactivity never gets released at levels that are so high that they harm people, um, that it sort of slowly percolates out um, rather than, you know, anyone getting like a big, a big dose of radioactivity sometime in the future. But that's hard to predict, you know, because you don't know who's going to be drilling a well where um, 500 or 1,000 or 2,000 years from now. It is really um, frustrating to know that these type of actions happen without the consent of the community or without letting the community know that they will do these things, uh, bring this uh, radioactive, toxic material to our communities. And as, um, but I also, I see that the work that Columbia Riverkeeper and other organizations, because this is a coalition of different groups, that they are standing against these practices and protecting our communities. Um, what the members of our communities can do in order to participate, to protect our families for this type of uh, situations? You know, there's a couple things that um, are super important when it comes to Arlington. Um, so for that waste dump, first of all, the, the Oregon Department of Energy right now is trying to beef up its rules to make sure this never happens again, that the rules are clear, that everyone understands them, and that the enforcement is stronger so that there is a clear uh, disincentive that um, no one has any incentive to dump more radioactive waste in Oregon. Uh, and so that is happening right now. And we expect there to be a public comment about that uh, coming up later this year. And so right now there's sort of a, a rulemaking committee and Riverkeeper is involved with that, trying to make sure that that's a strong outcome and that but hopefully later this year, people can weigh in in support of that and say, okay, you know, state of Oregon, this is good. Make your rules so strong that no one ever thinks to make this mistake again. And then the second thing that's very important for Arlington is to actually have a corrective action that fixes the problem in Arlington. We don't know what that is going to be yet. Um, the company clearly doesn't want to go back and dig up the stuff that they dumped in Arlington. That's expensive. Um, they've, they've suggested that that could be risky to workers because it's not just radioactive waste that's in this landfill. There's other chemicals there too um, that they've dumped now on top of the radioactive waste. So it's a complicated problem. But you know, exhuming that material, digging it up, shouldn't be dismissed out of hand just because it's expensive. Uh, they need to get a clear understanding of the leachate problem first um, and understand whether there is a potential exposure pathway to the public or to workers from this system of spraying this contaminated leachate at the surface and letting it you know, blow around. 
Um, so this is very important. It, you know, they, they expect to release their own corrective action plan. This is coming from the company itself. And the state of Oregon will either get to accept or deny that plan or make suggestions about how it can be improved. And it will be very important for the state to have good information so that they're not, um, they're not making a decision based on flawed assumptions or um, an expectation that the situation will get better when it actually might get worse. And so you know, the, the contamination may become more concentrated over time as more water filters through and it, you know, um, it releases a little bit more of radioactivity each time with each rainfall or each, each application of dust suppression water. And so it's very important for the state of Oregon to take an independent view on this and to, um, for both Oregon DEQ and Oregon Department of Energy to hear from the public that uh, they will have support in doing whatever it takes to protect the community of Arlington and groundwater um, whether that's groundwater now or hundreds of years in the future uh, from this waste that's been dumped. Um, so some of these, some of the solution for Arlington may be expensive for chemical waste management. Um, and that's, that's the price that they will need to pay uh, for having made this very, very serious error, according to them, um, of, of having accepted this radioactive waste where they shouldn't have. Um, and then the last thing I want to say is, you know, our region has been working hard to try to stop huge oil and gas facilities for going on, you know, more than a decade. Um, and people should be, should be proud of the work that they have done to try to stop oil trains and oil train terminals, because it turns out, you know, those oil trains and the, those oil train terminals, they are driving the fracking that is creating this radioactive waste. They are, you know, uh, one of the, the key sources um, you know, that's kind of pushing that production, that, that fracking forward. Um, and so we want to, to keep pushing back on those and to wean our economy as quickly as possible off of these fracked fuels, whether that's fracked gas um, for things like the Jordan Cove, LNG terminal in Coos Bay and the Pacific Connector fracked gas pipeline or the huge methanol refinery proposed in Kalama, Washington that would be fed with a, you know, fracked gas um, or it's you know, fracked oil coming from North Dakota, uh, the same type of fracked oil that, uh, that derailed and burned in the Mosher accident. So you know, we're starting to see the harms of these extreme fossil fuels, these extreme fracked fuels, very upfront, very close, and seeing the harms in our community, um, you know, is, it's, it's kind of a wake up call. And it's helping more people realize that when we try to stop these projects here, we are also working in solidarity with people um, who could unwittingly become a dumping ground for radioactive fracking waste, or who may um, be on a rail, uh, a rail route for an oil train uh, when they don't even, you know, have have a say over it. So um, 
a lot of what's going on is, is this sort of forced pollution by the fossil fuel industry without the consent of communities and oftentimes without even their knowledge. And that's what happened in Arlington that was so galling was the fact that um, the oil and gas industry found a place where they could squirrel away 2.5 million pounds of radioactive fracking waste without telling anyone for three years. And do you know how the state of Oregon found out? This is an important part of the story. It was an anti-fracking activist from North Dakota who found out that there was stuff leaving North Dakota that was probably radioactive. And he called the Oregon Department of Energy and asked them, do you know what's coming to Oregon? And that's how it happened. And that launched the investigation. It was people like, like us in North Dakota looking out for us who you know, were opposed to the fracking that's going on there for oil and gas, who raised the alarm you know, without even knowing where this stuff was going and who, who did a huge service to the people of Oregon by shining a light on this. Because who knows, it, it could have gone on and on and on and it could have been millions of more pounds of radioactive fracking waste before anyone ever knew. Uh, so in the end, it's going to be our communities sticking together and sharing information that's going to be very important. Without this person letting the Oregon officials know about this transportation of moving this uh, radioactive waste to Oregon, at this point, he will never say anything. We might be still receiving more and more material. That's right. By, by truck and by rail. Um, that's how it was coming to Arlington. You know, we, we could still be seeing those shipments coming if it weren't for someone having raised the alarm and objected to it from, from North Dakota. Uh, I'm not, I don't know who this person was, but I am, I am very, very grateful to them. And it was really interesting. It was an interesting moment in Arlington um, in March uh, when someone asked this question at the town hall and said, you know, how did you find out? And I heard it was someone, you know, it was an anonymous tip. And um, the person from Morgan Department of Energy said, you know, it wasn't anonymous. It was a person who was an anti-fracking activist. And, uh, and it was, you know, this person from Arlington just sort of was taken aback, said it was a protester. You know, it was a protester who, who told you about it. Like, you know, they were just sort of floored by it, you know, and, and it was um, uh, this kind of great moment of, of realizing that, um, you know, we have kind of, maybe some guardian angels out there on the, on the upstream end of this whole fracking nightmare trying to look out for us. And there are awesome people um, from the Western Organization of Resource Councils and Northern Plains Resource Council. I don't know, I, I don't, they're not the ones, I, I'm not aware that they were the ones who, who tipped this off, but who have been working on fracking issues and who have been really trying to um, address radioactive fracking waste. And so we communicate with them uh, we had a phone call with them just to try to understand what they have learned um, about the industry and about these radioactive issues. And one of the things that they encountered was when they tried to go in and strengthen their rules, the oil and gas industry came in and tried to use the same process to weaken the rules and tried to go backwards. So it's going to be very important for Oregonians to be uh, ready to engage and to make our standards as strong as they can be because uh, certainly the oil and gas industry will um, 
will resist um, efforts to, to hold them accountable to this huge stream of radioactive pollution that they're creating. This is something really interesting that um, I always think about this and when I talk to people about participating is important. Participating to protect our communities and the best way to protect our communities is to prevent from those uh, practices to happen, like a, the fracking, from transporting the radioactive material from the beginning, uh, moving them from North Dakota to Oregon. I mean, preventing that is better than trying to fix the problem that we have right now. And I'm really uh, glad that this person spoke up and, and let us know what's going on. And the material was brought to Oregon without the community knowing this. I, th I think that it's really important for us to participate in protecting our natural resources, preventing the transportation of uh, oil along the railroad. And at the same time, when we protect our communities, we also protect other communities. So we prevent from pollution that happen and the places they want to move the oil to these transfer stations where it will create environmental crisis in these areas. And perhaps we are, with not allowing the, this transportation, they will not extract the oil through fracking in these other communities. And we are preventing, protecting those communities from being affected by these practices. Yeah, this is a really important point, you know, I think when people stood up, for instance, and they stopped the Tesoro Savage oil train terminal in Vancouver, that was a big fight that went on for five years. And in Vancouver, you know, they didn't want to have a big oil train uh, depot, basically, right next to the Fruit Valley neighborhood, um, it, really in the middle of the Fruit Valley neighborhood, and, and I guess it, not in the middle, but next to it. And that would have been a big impact on that neighborhood. But it also would have been a big impact on Bingen and White Salmon, where those trains, five loaded trains a day, would have been coming down the river, you know, and any one of those trains could derail and spill and potentially burn. Um, and all of those trains would have been coming from, or most of them would have been coming from North Dakota, the same place that we now know is producing this radioactive fracking waste uh, that also ended up, some of it, in Arlington. So it's, it's interesting, I, I think, to think about uh, this dynamic of when you stand up in your community, you may be protecting someone in another community, in an uprail community, or in a downstream community um, that you may not even know. And um, it's something I appreciate a lot about the work that people are doing in the Columbia River Gorge and, and far even upstream and I think a lot about um, the people who tried to stop, for instance, the heavy haul equipment on a different type of oil, the tar sands oil. Um, you know, back you know, years ago, there were uh, Native American activists who tried to stop these huge pieces of equipment from going up the Columbia River um, because they knew that that would lead to more of this very polluting oil being produced. Um, and come and ultimately that oil comes back down in the form of oil trains back in our direction. And so, you know, it takes, it takes some foresight um, 
to, to know where those choke points are, but we have a lot of them in our region. And so if you can find a place, if people listening in can find a place to get engaged through Columbia Riverkeeper or through another organization, uh, it's a really important time to weigh in and to be, to be involved um, in a community organization or in, uh, in, in a movement. Um, because you know we're trying to to work across movements now and to to try to protect one each other one another as much as we can. For our listeners, if they want to know more about uh, what they can do or get more information, where they can go. So Oregon Department of Energy has a pretty detailed site, uh, technical site set up that talks about that has a um, some of these really specific reports um, about what's going on in Arlington. That's a good place if you want to read what chemical waste management is saying about its its own waste dump. You can also go to Columbia Riverkeeper's website where we're going to be posting more information as the situation evolves um, to get more information out into the public. And then uh, to learn more about the issue of fracking in general, Power Past Frack Gas is a great resource, standuptooil.org are both great resources if you want to learn about the effort to stop some of these massive, huge projects that would lead to more fracking for oil and gas. Um, so there's a lot of information on the web there. And then I, I also really want to recommend um, for folks who are interested in this issue of radioactive fracking waste, check out the, the Justin Noble article, uh, America's Dirty Secret. It will, it will open your eyes about what's going on around this country uh, with these radioactive fracking waste problems. It is uh, an interesting situation that our communities are facing right now through the uh, transportation of these fossil fuels. And one of the things that you just mentioned is about the sand tarts that um, are being transported through the Columbia Gorge, through uh, the railroad, which represent a big risk to our communities. And uh, But I think that will be a good uh, topic for our next uh, conversation. There is so many things that we can talk and, and inform our communities about what's going on on the river. I think we, we should have another or more conversations about what's going on to get updates and uh, to have these conversations perhaps once a month or twice a month. I don't know. That sounds good. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks so much for uh, digging into this, Ubaldo. Thank you, Dan. Uh, this was uh, Dan Ceres, uh, Conservation Director for Columbia Riverkeeper. Yo uh, soy Ubaldo Hernandez. And if you want to know more about what Columbia Riverkeeper is working on, visit our website at columbiariverkeeper.org and you'll find a lot of information about our work and how we are uh, protecting our communities. And of course, we're doing that with your support, your help, uh, thank you very much. This is Ubaldo Hernandez. You were listening to Conoce Tu Colombia, a program produced by Columbia Riverkeeper. We'll be back in two weeks and have more conversations about what's going on along the Columbia River. We talk about uh, topics about environmental protection and social justice advocacy. So stay tuned with us. Thank you very much. You can always close your eyes. Can't close your ears. Uh, uh.
Hola, los invito a escuchar Conoce tu Colombia, un programa producido por Columbia River Keeper que se transmite cada otro martes de 7 a 8 de la noche. Entérese de lo que pasa en las comunidades que vivimos a lo largo del río Colombia. Compartimos información sobre la importancia de proteger nuestros recursos naturales. Además, tocamos temas de justicia social y culturales que son relevantes para nuestras comunidades. Recuerde, escuche Conoce tu Colombia en Radio Tierra, el latido del gorch, tu radio comunitaria. Qué difícil cantarle a tierra madre que nos aguanta y nos vio crecer.